for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. We do this each and every Wednesday. The pet spurts are joining us once again. Cheryl Shaw, hello. <laughs> hello, it's nice to be here today. And Dr David Tabbert as well. G'day, Mark. What will we be talking about today on Pet Chat? I'm going to be talking about allergy people sufferers and what pets they can own. Oh, that's mm. something for me because I suffer from allergies 14 months a year, did you know? Come on. That, that, really sounds, that sounds very serious. I get very ill. You might need to see a vet. I might. <laughs> what about you, David? Um, well, the cooler weather has joined us, so I'm going to talk about some of the hazards to our pets mm-hmm. with um, heating, heating, not eating, heating, heaters. The H is not silent. <laughs> Rod at Spears Point, you've got a question about feeding your eight-month-old pup. Yeah. How yes, can we, um, how I can just we want help? to know... I've, I've, Got an eight-month-old eight burglar here, pup, and uh, I was feeding. I was cutting up some veggies one night, and I dropped one. And he, he he ate it right, like raw vegetables like beans and carrots. And since then, I've been giving him, cutting up a, a carrot and a bean every now and again, and giving it to him. Is that all right to give to him? Or yeah, absolutely. Um, we often advise people with regards to veggies and so on to include them in diets. I, I mean, it's safe to do so. Yeah. Probably with puppies, and I'd still point it, put an eight-month-old into that group, their growth requires a, a fairly particular nutritional balance, and yep. ve- vegetables don't really meet that. Um, but if oh, it's, you know, it's only an occasional thing and it's really not a major part of his diet, so I no, think no, that's I, fine. I, I just want to know, do I have to de- decrease his dog food when I give him the vegetables, like his dry dog food, like he's on... Advanced oh, puppy no. plus and that, you know. Yeah, well, that's a you know using a using a specific growth diet is fantastic because they do have additional needs for calcium um, and a very tight balance on their phosphorus levels, which are mainly coming through, um, you know, dairy and meat. Vegetables, yep. unless you're really serving up a big bowl of veggies, it's really not going to do anything as regards to the nutritional balance it does add a lot of fiber to his diet which i think is healthy Um, so if it's just an occasional thing no dramas if it was incorporated into a diet long term then i'd probably sit down and work out you know the exact amount but i think you're fine just to go ahead with the occasional treat yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. i just step in here and you know like probably once once a week or twice a week i give him a couple of beans and a bit of carrot in it Yep, he loves it, like, you know, like... No, no dramas with that. You'd be okay. fine. Yeah, I the th- wife is a bit worried, like, she, she shouldn't, shouldn't give him them type of things. I said, well, I'll ring up to find out, so... No, good on you. Thanks for coming to talk to us. And I don't think Rod's uh, dog's in the background needing that treat right yeah, now. He says, you're talking about my dinner. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> We're all a bit like that from time to time. Cheryl, while we've got a break in the, in the traffic, let's get straight into you this afternoon. Certainly, that'll be nice. Um, I just want to talk about some people with allergies don't really think that they can have a pet, but I've got some good news. If you're in the market for a cat, there's seven lucky cats that you can go for. Okay, so what happens? About 20% of our population actually do suffer with really bad symptoms, just like you were saying, Mark, you know, runny eyes, nose, dry, sore, raspy throat. And you know what? I was never, because I had a lot of cats growing up and I was never allergic to cats. Okay. But I get the allergies, but just not from cats. Okay. So the good news is that you need to select the right breed. And I'll give you these seven breeds. One is the Balinese. Now, these are like a Siamese cat. 
Although this cat has long hair, it actually produces less of the protein of Fel D1. Now, that allergen is what causes people to become allergic because they react to that allergen. Um, this breed of, do um, of cat is really an extrovert. It's very intelligent. It actually likes to play like a dog. It will do fetch. So if you're looking for a sort of a cat that's got a few dog traits. If you're, a dog, if you're a dog person or maybe your, your, your partner's a cat person, there's the compromise right yeah, there. Absolutely. Another breed is the Oriental Shorthair. Now, this also comes from the Siamese breed, although it has green eyes, and it's got a very, very short coat. The breed is said to be hypoallergenic, but um, it is often a very vocal cat, so you'd have to watch that one if you don't want you know, a lot of noise around the house. The Javanese cat. It's got a single medium coat and it hardly sheds. So this one is really great for those allergy sufferers. Then there's a couple of the Rexes, the Devon Rex breed. That's a cute little cat. It's only got short guard hairs and it has limited um, shedding. So it's a, a really ideal pet as well. Um, its family cousin, the Cornish Rex, has no guard hairs um, and even less shedding. Although this cat is going to require some bathing because they get a build-up of excess oils on their skin so you know you're going to have to bath this cat that one won't do me no 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 that's a, something extra i've got to do around the homestead i don't <laughs> want to do that oh both these both these cats are really loving they've got great personalities then there's another cat that you might like mark it's got mm. no fur at all the sphinx mm. yeah i think they're one for the real enthusiast i think you either, either love those or you don't there's yeah. no in between there yeah but they have no fur so that's why they are a great pet for those allergy sufferers. But a relatively new cat that's come into Australia, it was introduced in 2003, is called the Siberian cat. Now, it's got a long coat, and you worry then when it's got a long coat whether mm. you're going to be suffering, but it's fine because it's extremely hypoallergenic because it has low enzymes. So those low enzymes in the saliva, when it's licking itself isn't producing the allergen that's going to cause you to start sneezing. Oh, I think that might be a winner right there. It sounds nice. And this one it? has fur. And, yeah, and quite long <laughs> fur as well. A very nice cat. So whilst no breed is 100% non-allergenic, there are seven breeds that you can go and have a look at. My recommendation is to find a breeder that you can talk your problem about and say, can I come and spend some time patting and playing with your kittens uh, or your cat just to see if when you go home you have any response. Um, if not, you can certainly find a cat that's going to be good for you. You start sneezing and wheezing, you just don't ring them back. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you go somewhere else and find another cat that may be suitable. That might be the way to go. Look, we're speaking of ringing. We've got uh, Darren from Blackalls Park. Now, uh, Darren, you've got a question about hot spots on a dog. Oh, that's correct. I've got a, a Labrador, a seven-year-old Labrador, that every day he likes to go to the lake for a swim, as they do. Mm -hmm. But he, he keeps suffering from... The vet told me it's hot spots. He, he gets these little lumps on his, mainly on his head. Mm. Um, now each day when we come back from swimming, I hose him off. I'm just wondering what's the best thing I can wash him with to prevent it. Um, yeah, it's a fairly common problem, and a lot of these kind of dogs that are heavy set around the head we see this problem with it doesn't have to be long haired dogs so short hair like a labrador certainly it may be that there's um a trigger with the the salt water on the skin and so washing them is a good idea essentially a hot spot is kind of like a layperson's term um but the real definition or name for this condition there's actually quite a few different names the one i refer to is acute traumatic pyodermatitis so acute it comes on really suddenly and i've literally seen them come up in hours 
Um, yep. You know, it's not something they can take a few days, but oftentimes people will go to work and they come home six hours later or eight hours later and suddenly this dog's got this huge sore on its neck. So um, when I was in GP practice, we used to see dogs come in at 5 and 5.30 after people get home from work and say, well, it wasn't there in the morning. So it comes on, comes on really quickly. Traumatic is because a large part of what's going on is that the dog is scratching at its skin. Um, the PIO refers to bacteria and dermatitis means it's a disease of the skin. So we've got the dog scratches for whatever reason and that causes the skin to ooze a bit of serum. The serum contains lots of proteins and substances which the bacteria that normally live on our skin and are supposed to be there, they suddenly go, oh, great, we've got food. They rapidly multiply and they'll cause this intense and sometimes very painful uh, reaction. So bathing them, you know, to remove whatever it is on the skin and if it's salt water, sometimes we do look at things like allergies, but also fleas, some grasses can irritate as well. Um, really trying to find out what it is for your dog and avoid that. But if you can't, then just clean water is a good idea. But some dogs do require, say, um, an oatmeal aloe vera blend shampoo, and there's a few of those on the market. And I find, okay. you know, they're very good because you don't have to bath the dog hot the whole over. It might yep. just be that area. Um, area. <clears throat> yeah, it's very important, however, when you do bath them, what we do is when we treat them, and some dogs, when we get them into treat, we have to give them an anaesthetic because... It's so painful. Um, yep. We'll we'll actually clip the hair back really short. Yeah, that's what they've done this, in this incident. They could clip it back because we found it just, just from the stuff that was oozing, caused it to spread. Yes. Um, so we shaved around it. And uh, it was probably six, eight months ago we had it, but I noticed he starts every day he goes swimming, I feel all these lumps coming back again, but they don't they don't get to that oozing stage. Um, mm. but, yeah, it was just, just curious. Is the best thing to wash them? Yeah. Just continue to wash them with fresh water. Or? Yeah, I'd, I'd use the look at using an aloe vera oatmeal, and you need yep. to, you need to put it on and leave it on for ten minutes. And you also need to make sure that you put it on and scrub it on beyond the margins of what you can see. So okay. you yep. know, if it's say the size of a, a fifty cent piece, um, just make it a, make the spot that you're going to treat about double that size. Okay. No it does spread out, and so you're going to try and stop it from spreading any further. Um, the quicker you can get onto them means that you'll hopefully avoid repeated visits to your vet, but some of them we do need to, as I said, use an anaesthetic and so on. Some great information there for Darren. Now, can you just repeat for me the, the name for hotspots, the technical name again? Acute Traumatic Pyodermatitis. Three times quickly. Oh. <laughs> Where's, where's my coffee? Where's my coffee? Where's my coffee? Dave, you're always very busy when you come into Pet Chat. You're on your phone, you're on the laptop. What, what's going on? Are you Keeping connected. Keeping connected. Or looking up the answers. <laughs> well, don't look at me. I can't help with any of the answers. I know. What's going on? Hopefully you've got an answer. Though. <laughs> Hopefully we've got an answer from Margaret at Toronto. Margaret, you've got dog's got pancreatitis and a little bit aggressive. What's going on, Margaret? Well, he had pancreatitis in um, March mm. and had a couple of days of the vets on a drip and then he'd come home and he was okay but he's got very aggressive if we try to pick him up or you know, pat him or it's just I don't know what's wrong with him what sort we of, tried to pick uh, him up sorry, to wash Martin. him yep. we tried to pick him up to wash him and he just goes to, to you know really at us and mm. tries to bite us and snap at us and 
runs at my husband every now and again and barks and jumps up at him to buy him. So what sort of dog is he? A Jack Russell. Right, and how old? Um, he just turned 15 Okay. last right. week. Oh, happy birthday. What's his name? Jack. Jack. <laughs> Jack the Jack Russell. Um, well, pancreatitis uh, can occur for a number of different reasons. And so depending on whatever the cause of that is, that may be an ongoing, hopefully it's not, um, you know, problem that it's occurring there. But the other thing that's very important is pancreatitis is quite a painful condition. And mm-hmm. um, it's certainly possible to have some scarring occurring, essentially inflammation of the pancreas, which sits alongside the, the um, small intestine. And uh, the role of the pancreas is to release enzymes into the gut that cause digestion. And what can happen with, uh, when it's inflamed is those enzymes get released into the tissue surrounding that area. So you can end up with some long-term complications with adhesions occurring where the tissues are starting to stick together or sometimes it can just be some chronic pain. So now there could be other reasons for his behaviour change, um, but I would first of all just be concerned about whether we're dealing with a pain issue and particularly as you said, when you go to pick him up because, that, you know, that would be putting pressure on his belly. And it may be that there's some need for some ongoing medication. Most of the okay. time um, we would manage a lot of this with dietary control, like with limiting the fat intake uh, Yes, we like were that. told what we weren't allowed to feed him and give him anymore, so we've watched what he eats now. Yeah, that's, that's so, probably yeah. the most important part. But I'd certainly say... You know, this behaviour, he's he's an adult dog, um, obviously, and so it's a change of behaviour that you've noted. Unfortunately, we do see, however, some dogs, and I think this occurs in people as well, is that when they've had pretty critical il- illnesses, it can certainly have an impact on your mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean in the sense that there's been anything wrong that's happened. I just think that the the inflammation in the body affects the way that the brain works so um, now that's rather speculative but I have seen some conversations and some papers that have been written about this whether it occurs in dogs or not I certainly see some dogs that exhibit quite marked behavior change and you know we can't find a reason for it other than you know that that they've had a critical illness so but I'd certainly want to make sure he's not painful that's that's the first thing so it's probably worth a trip to your vet to just tick those boxes and on the other hand if it is an ongoing behavior problem then obviously you need to explore how you're going to control that um, and you know that might involve some behavior modification therapy okay so check it out go and have a chat to your vet make sure they can uh, assess whether he's got any pain issues or ongoing inflammation and if it's only happened in march that's pretty close like in time for pancreatitis yep. it can take quite a long time to resolve okay so. we have had him back for a checkup and the vet said he was going okay good, so good he thought he might have been getting a bit of dementia well that that's where i'm wondering about this critical Ill- illness and the deterioration in his brain function there is some medication that can be used for that now in dogs but okay. um a lot of the time particularly when aggression's involved i think we probably look at behavior modification and primarily to protect you guys. I mean, it may be that he, you can only impact his behaviour in a small way, 
but at least when aggression's involved, we want to make sure that people are safe in the house as well. So yeah, yeah, right. you know, he'll let us sometimes pat him, and then next minute he'll turn around and jump up to try to bite you. You know, and it's not like him. And he's he's so no. dirty; he needs a bath, and I can't bath him. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I think your vets are going to be able to help you out with that because um, whether even just to give him a bath, um, he may require some medication. So. Hello to Sally at Nabiak. You've uh, got your dogs. They're starting to eat some dirt. What's that all about? Oh, well, I really don't know. I was wondering if they were lacking in something, to be quite honest. I don't know. Mm. What sort of dogs are we talking about, Sally? Uh, one's just a mixed breed yep. and the other's a bull Arab. And how old are the two dogs? Uh, one's 17 and the other's 6. 17 years old? Yeah. Wow. That's a great innings, isn't it? Um, yep. And this is just a recent problem, just started recently? Yeah, probably the last couple of weeks. Mm, okay. Did you notice one of them start before the other one? Oh, or both at the I, same time? Pretty much the same time, I think. Okay. Um, the, the eating of dirt is uh, a condition we call PICA, P-I-C-A, it's actually not just eating dirt. It could be eating anything. Um, but in this case, they're just um, going and eating what's around. Now, oftentimes people do say or ask the question, you know, is it because they're deficient in some vitamin or mineral? That probably does occur in a small number of, of um, dogs and so on with this condition. But usually it's a behavioural thing. So it's in a way... Um, an activity that the dogs do to keep themselves occupied. So the treatment and how I would approach this is to make sure that we give them plenty of other things to keep them occupied. So we go back to, um, may have heard us speak in the past about using Kongs, which are these really hard rubber toys. They come in different sizes, but you get the ones that have got the holes in the middle, okay? And then what you do is you pack that with some food. You can put in whatever food you want. Um, I often put a, a smear of Vegemite on each end, so it's like this cylinder, wrap it up in plastic, put it in the freezer, and then mm-hmm. you get it out and give it to them during the day. So obviously they need one each. It keeps them occupied all day. It's uh, rewarding for them, and um, because it's frozen, it just won't fall out and empty straight away, but it means that they've got something to do all day, tasty, uh, keeps them occupied, and hopefully they run out of opportunity to go and eat dirt. For the older dog, I would probably get a health check done and maybe for both of them anyway um yep. but i'm really thinking it's behavioral that's why i was asking if it would occur in one than the other because if you had that happen then it could be there was a health problem um yep. and then the other dog just copied the behavior okay well the, the older one does tend to eat whatever the younger one does just so she doesn't miss out sure um, well it's probably worth just checking and uh, i'd probably say a blood test for each of them and just make uh-huh. sure there's nothing else going on. Some of the things we might worry about, uh, certainly gastrointestinal disease, but also things like kidney, liver disease. And I guess we also have to consider the risk of cancer. It's a bit obscure to link those two things with dirt eating, but just as a general health precaution, I think that would be the way to go. Okay, thank you very much. Now we're heading to Colnura uh, Pixie. You've got a mastiff suffering from intermittent salivation. What's uh, what's happening with you? What's happening there? Yeah, oh, it just pours out of her mouth for no reason. It's not the normal mastiff drool. Mm. It, um, and she gets stressed 
and it just pours and pours and pours and pours, so much so that she saturates everything. Wow. Um, and uh, it, my vet suggested give her a Previcox, which we do, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it still goes on for like two or three hours, and uh, she just gets so sort of flustered with it, and we, we don't know, you know, is it anything... We can't find any reason for it, but yeah. we've tried all sorts of various foods and, you know, high-quality... Um, dog food and she has a really good diet she's a pretty big girl and she's three years old so I'm just wondering if you've had any other animals with this pouring out of dribble mm. so she's had her teeth checked and her gums checked yeah yeah Nothing, she's no problems. Fine. Okay. Nah. so there's, there's this condition is called tylism and it's a silent p-t-y-a-l-i-s-m and we distinguish between true tylism and pseudo tylism so Say, for instance, a dog with um, uh, swallowing disorder or a dog with teeth disease, we might say, has pseudotylism. They're not actually producing more saliva, um, but they're just not swallowing it. It sounds like your dog is actually producing more saliva. Now, the salivary glands uh, sit at the back of the jaw. They're actually controlled by nerves. Right. And so... You know, if your dog sees food, or well, if people see food, your salivary glands go, okay. Um, and this is one of the th- reasons why food advertising occurs so well on television. You know, you see it and immediately you're feeling hungry and so on. So what happens is that those nerves sometimes can go a little bit skew if, and they could be stimulating the glands to produce more saliva. It's pretty hard to diagnose. Right. But it is a possibility. And there is actually occurring, and I'm trying to think of which breed it is. Um, I'm, I'm saying Cavaliers, but it, I, I could be wrong, that it's associated with a form of epilepsy. Okay. Well, she did have meningitis. She had viral meningitis as a puppy. Um, and, mm. um, yeah, she's over that. She's got, you know, hot, she's 100% now, sure. years later. Um, yeah, so maybe that's part of the um, of the meningitis, I should say. Um, yeah, well, it could be. Yeah, it certainly could be related to maybe some triggering of the nerve, some irritation of the nerve. Um, when we talk about epilepsy, we're saying it's a spasmodic event where the nerves are just being stimulated. Um, and the conditions that we have seen uh, with um, animals, I think also Burmese cats, was right. the other one, and I'm happy to be corrected on those, but they um, end up responding to phenobarbitone, which is okay. a treatment for epilepsy. Yeah. Pretty hard to diagnose, might actually need a referral to see a neurologist to find out if that's what's going on, because once you start on that treatment, you're on it for the rest of his life. So um, I'd say uh, speak to your vet about whether that's a possibility. They may want to refer you on for that sort of problem. Well, that is just about it for us for Pet Chat. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Dave, for coming in. Thanks, Dr. Mark. And <laughs> not, no, not even a... No, I'm not. And Cheryl Shaw. <laughs> My pleasure. You. But I did learn something for you, the type of cats that I should be looking out for next time around. That's right. Yeah, for allergies. That's Pet Chat for another week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.